0: All right. Hey, everybody. It's a beautiful Easter morning. You can tell from our our blow-up hot tub baptistry here. We're going to be baptizing some people a little bit later on. We've got an infant baptistry over there that St. Clair's loaned to us. That's why it's so beautiful and ornate. We're so thankful for our Episcopal friends. But here on this morning where we're Celebrating the Resurrection of Jesus, I thought it might be helpful for us to talk about how our community views baptism. Because I know in the Christian traditions, um, we treat this sacrament in different ways. And the word sacrament just is like a religious ceremony or a ritual. So you could probably tell, since we've got all of these things, that we take a pretty open-handed approach to baptism. So I like to call myself an equal opportunity baptizer. So I'll baptize babies, I'll baptize toddlers, I'll baptize kids, I'll baptize adults, I'll re-baptize adults, I'll baptize people who want to mark a significant transition in their lives in a public way. I've even baptized families together. There's some precedent in the Bible for that in the book of Acts. I think we might actually have both of the kiddle kids in there at the same time a little bit later today. Before I talk about the various meanings that baptism might have for us, I do want to just back up a little bit here and have us ask a question that I think doesn't often get asked, and that's, why did Jesus get baptized? Why did he get baptized? In the tradition that I grew up in, I was always taught that we get baptized in order to identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? That when we get dunked into the water, it's like when Jesus was crucified, being submerged under is like the day that he spent in the tomb and then when we come up it's like the resurrection and that then symbolically we are new people following a different way and that is a very fine interpretation and I would say that is part of my understanding of baptism but if identifying with Jesus's death and resurrection is like the entirety of what that ritual is about I think it still begs the question then why did Jesus get baptized And all of the other people who were around him doing it as well, because he hadn't yet died or been resurrected. And so it's not like he was identifying with his own personal story. Well, it should go without saying that Jesus was a Jewish man. He wasn't a Christian. He was a Jewish man. And ritually dunking people in water is well-rooted in that tradition. It's called mikvah. So the word itself actually comes from two uh, root words that mean hope and something like alignment so the idea being that we're ritually aligning ourselves with god waiting and hoping to experience god's presence and god's power and so in jesus's day having a mikvah was often associated with becoming like ritually pure in order to enter into the big temple that was in the center of jerusalem and mikvahs weren't seen as like a once in a lifetime happening as they are in some portions of the christian tradition Um, But it was was something that you could do more than once, and it was a way of bringing people back into full community after events have happened that might have separated them from that community. So it could be like illnesses, it could be a skin disease, it could be intentional or unintentional sins that have harmed their social connections, right? So the mikvahs themselves, I think, were and are this really beautiful ritual of restoration into community. But just like today, I mean, mikvahs are still practiced today. In Jesus' time, they were used by different groups for different reasons with different meanings. And so Jesus had a cousin that we, you know, we call him John the Baptist. More literally, it's John the plunger, which I kind of like because it sounds like there's like a toilet issue going on. (laughs) I'll stick to John the Baptist here. But John the Baptist was doing these mikvahs or these baptisms down in the Jordan River which was a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, we're not 100% certain of what John's motives were, which were probably myriad and complex, but the location where he was dunking people and some of the things that he's recorded to have said while he was doing this, I think, give us some clues as to what he was up to. All right, so the Jordan River has some special significance in the scripture, in the Hebrew Bible. There's a, a book called Joshua, and in that book, there's a story about when the Hebrew people crossed the Jordan River, it marked their collective liberation after hundreds of years spent as slaves in Egypt. All right, so they'd been slaves for hundreds of years, then they went and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and then a man named Joshua led them across this river, the Jordan River, into their freedom. And Jesus' name and Joshua's name are the same. They're actually, they're both Yeshua, And they're just translated differently from the Hebrew and from the Greek. And so I think the Gospels and the way they're telling the story of Jesus' baptism are inviting us to draw some parallels between these two stories. So John the Baptist and his cousin Jesus and all of the other Jewish people in first century Palestine, they were living under the occupation of the Roman Empire. So they weren't slaves in Egypt, but they were living under uh, the colonization of Rome in their land. And so that meant they were taxed extra harshly uh, they were helped to force to carry Roman soldiers' equipment. They were brutally killed if they tried to resist that Roman rule. Actually, up in the Galilee, where Jesus grew up and where his parents grew up, there were literally hundreds of people who were crucified by Roman soldiers during the time Jesus' parents would have been about teenagers. Right? And so everybody wanted the Romans gone. And by being dunked in the Jordan River specifically, the people being baptized were then relating to this earlier story of God, like freeing their people from Egypt and expressing hope that God would do that again for them, right? That they would be freed from Roman oppression, right? It's like, you did it before God, do it again. You freed us from Egypt, now come and free us from Rome. And we are aligning ourselves with you, hoping for you to show up with your power to liberate, right? So there's a little bit of a political portion of what's going on with what Jesus was doing. There's another layer of meaning, I think, to what John was doing. Right, we're told that he was doing his baptisms way out in the desert in the wilderness area. Right, so it's out in the middle of nowhere, and we're told that crowds of people were gathering from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the Jordan River Valley, which is a really wide region. Right, you could get a mikveh, in lots of places around Jerusalem, even in some of the small villages. But people were choosing to travel out to the wilderness to have this done. So they were going outside the normal centers of power to participate. And then we're also told that there were a handful of religious leaders who came out to sort of investigate what John was up to. Right? And so as they're kind of suspicious and trying to see what it is that's going on out there, John turns to them in the Gospel of Matthew and he calls them a brood of vipers. And he accuses them of corruption. Right? Because a few of the people who had helped run the big temple in Jerusalem had Roman sympathies. And they were benefiting from that relationship. Right? And I think that's not unlike how some Christian leaders today are in bed with politicians and bidding, like benefiting from those relationships And I would say, in the last administration, that was kind of beyond the pale. And so I think the symbolism of John's baptism was, in part, a critique of this system whereby we had powerful religious leaders colluding with government officials for that mutual benefit, and that's why John called them vipers. And later on in the Gospels, Jesus does the same thing. And I want to note that that group of leaders was like a small subset of religious leaders. Right? And we note that Jesus himself was a Jewish religious leader. And in that role, alongside the other Jewish leaders of his day, he was critiquing the few who were gaining power and wealth from the oppression of the poor and the exclusion of some people from the full life of the community. And so Jesus and his cousin John and some fellow rabbis and even some Pharisees who were in this similar stream to Jesus were offering this like internal critique of their own tradition. So, Jesus kicked off his career, so to speak, by allying himself with John's movement, right? It was like Jesus was out there saying, look, I'm with the people who are fed up with government and religious power holding hands. I can say amen to that. And Jesus is saying, I'm with the people who feel like they're wandering in the wilderness, who are disenfranchised with elements of their own religion. And I'm with the people who desire not only liberation from Rome, but also liberation from anything that holds them captive from living into the fullness of what God has created them to be, right? It's an act of liberation. And so the symbolism of what John the Baptist was doing and what Jesus supported ticked off some powerful people. And John landed in jail and eventually died a gruesome death. And I think that alone tells us that power was threatened, Right? Even when John was being put to death, the person who ordered it, Herod, said he was distressed because John was so popular and what he was saying was resonating so much that he was afraid of the unrest it would cause, but he did it anyway. Because what John was doing out in the wilderness, dunking people into the Jordan River, and what Jesus supported and identified with by being baptized by John was subversive enough and influential enough to get them both killed. When systemic power is threatened, vulnerable people die. So if you weren't here, um, or on Zoom last Sunday, to hear the Palm Sunday sermon on the scapegoat, and maybe you're newer and you haven't heard Ken and I, like, yammer on about that for the last seven years. (laughs) Those of you who have been here are like, oh, yeah. I tried to do a succinct, like, presenting it in the easiest way I could. And so if you haven't heard that, I I would recommend that you listen to it online. Because Jesus spent his relatively brief life standing with the oppressed and preaching abundant abundant love in a way that threatened power. And for those reasons, he was made a scapegoat and he was put to death. But the good news on Easter is that while the world condemned him and said that he was worthy of a death sentence, for living his life in such a way and for preaching such a message is that God overturned our human death sentence and raised him back to life. It's finished. Stop hurting each other, stop killing the vulnerable to uphold systems of power, stop letting innocent school children die in school shootings, stop letting public executions of black and brown people happen, Stop. Treating LGBTQ plus people in such a way that the suicide rate is so much higher. Just stop killing the vulnerable to uphold systems of power. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So when we choose to be baptized, what we're choosing is to identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus, knowing that his death came about because he identified with a story of liberation, and that God vindicated that message. And when we get baptized, we're choosing to stand with the scapegoated of this world and to live lives of abundant love, even at times at cost to ourselves. And we're choosing to critique the temptations of empire and power. So where Jesus critiqued Egypt and then his own Roman empire in his day, in our context, we critiqued white supremacy and Christian nationalism, which is a big problem right now and we critique modern American colonialism. And like Jesus, we're choosing to live among and champion those who feel like they're wandering in a spiritual wilderness. I think many of us here can probably relate to that. And in doing that, we remember that in the Bible, God's presence is very often found in the wilderness. We're also choosing to follow a loving creator whose desire is to lead us out of whatever it is that holds us captive, into the freedom to be the best version of who our creator made us to be, right? Whether that's being freed from shame, of stigma that people have put on us in society, maybe words that have been spoken over us in our lives, whether it's behaviors or thoughts that have harmed our connections to ourselves and to people around us, right? We wanna be free of those things so that we can thrive in the way that our God created us to thrive and so that we can learn to love in the most unconditional, beautiful, expansive way that we're able to do so. So baptism is choosing a journey publicly that can help us do that. So those are some of the reasons that we might get baptized as a young person or as an adult. There's other reasons to be baptized too. Right, so I, I like to share that I originally got baptized when I was eight. It was a great big Assemblies of God, Pentecostal megachurch, and I remember it. And I remember telling my mom that I understood, I understood enough, that this was what I wanted, and that baptism was meaningful for me, and I still consider that my primary baptism. Um, but I chose to be rebaptized here just, what was it, three or four years ago. Caroline dunked me because I wanted a community, uh, like a ritual that symbolized my full belonging in the family of God because the stream of faith that had raised me and in which I had been baptized, had rejected me and kicked me out. And so it felt meaningful for me to have you guys, my church community, my church family, just bear witness with me that I'm fully embraced and loved by God, no matter what some of God's other children might say or do. And so with that, a couple of people who are being baptized today are also using the ritual, I think, in that way. One of the people that we're going to baptize is somebody that many of us have known for several years here at church, who came out as non-binary and trans during COVID, who wants to ritualize their coming into a fuller understanding of who God created them to be. Right? In other words, to mark their liberation from frameworks that had kept them from expressing their full created self. And so I get to, um, L wrote up a little something. I'll have you read it in a moment. You do want to read it? Okay, I'll have you come up in just a second. Let me just touch on infants and kids real quick, because obviously it's going to be a little bit different for kids. Right, they're not—they're not like understanding necessarily the complexity of some of these frameworks. The infants and the uh, toddlers. Um, I do want to note that, like, a lot of people got baptized as infants. Like, if you grew up Catholic or maybe Episcopal, and if you embrace that as as your baptism and that's meaningful for your adult faith, I completely support that and think that that's beautiful. Um, Right? I think the meaning of our faith can evolve, but we can have that evolution without the need of a public ritual, right? So for some people it's meaningful, for some it's not, and I think both are valid. But when I baptize infants or toddlers, I tend to treat those in a pretty similar way to how I treat baby dedications, right? So with a baptism we use water, with a dedication we use oil. They both kind of symbolize the Holy Spirit, so it's a very similar thing. And the way I see it is it's like it's, it's a community, the faith community welcoming in in a ritual way the little itty-bitties, right? So for parents or guardians, it's saying something like, we're coming to present our kids before God and before the church community, and we recognize that it takes a village to raise children, and this community will help us build a healthy spiritual framework so that one day they can make their own decisions about faith and life, right, and it's also a way of reminding us in the church that we have a collective responsibility to one another, Right, from, the, from the smallest of us, right, we're going to be baptizing a kid who's under three months old all the way to the oldest, that we are all of us um, important in the family of God. So different people find different meanings in this sacrament. I think the whole myriad of them are holy and sacred. And I think it's lovely that we can use rituals to help us mark these things publicly. It gives us some accountability to one another, when we declare our hopes and our intentions for how we want to be and who we want to be out loud in the same way that Jesus did when he got baptized by his cousin. And so with that, I will have Elle come up, and if you would like to read your testimony before we go into communion, let us grab you a microphone.
1: Hi, my name is Elle, and I'm a recovering Catholic. I was baptized as an infant, um, and I am obviously getting baptized today is why I'm in my Easter Sunday best. (laughs) Um, You're gonna have to bear with me on this one. I'm being baptized for the first time as an adult with my chosen name. I am trans, masculine, non-binary, and baby, I was born this way. This is an emotional and meaningful step in my journey toward myself made in the image of God. So as Emily sort of alluded to earlier, um, 42% of LGBTQIA youth seriously thought about or attempted suicide last year, 2021. This is not a problem of the past. This is a problem today. Um, And my concern is very personal to me. Um, I am in the process of legally changing my name to L. Grace Costanzo because it is only by God's grace that I am alive today. I was one of those youth who tried to end their own life. This water will wash away the shame that others told me I was supposed to feel. And I will emerge knowing that I have been held by God the whole time. God wraps us in their love even when, especially when, we have a hard time loving ourselves. This baptism is also for queer youth. I will advocate for you so you will not have to question God's love for you. And for them and little L, Know that you are always perfect.